Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. After the invitation, we will um, pass out ballads and you will vote um, on her and we will go from there. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. If you, um, if you want to understand part two of a story, you really need to have either read or seen part one, usually. Um, so if you read the Lord of the Rings series by J.R.R. Tolkien and you want to understand the two towers, you probably need to have read The Fellowship of the Ring. If you want to watch Empire Strikes Back, you probably need to have seen the original Star Wars. If you, um, even if you want to know what Toy Story 2 is about, you probably need to have seen Toy Story 1 to understand the characters. Um, you can theoretically understand the second part without the first, but it opens up the story in amazing ways if you understand where the story's already been and, and, and where it is now. You understand a lot of the context of what you wouldn't see otherwise. And many times, that's how reading the Bible is. Um, you can understand a book of the Bible by itself. You don't really have to know the things around it, but it really helps flesh a lot of it out. Um, and, and that's very much true with the book of Exodus. So we begin Exodus today, and this is the longest time I'll ever be in a book of the Bible so far as a preacher. I did the Gospel of John a couple of years ago. We were in that about 10 months. Um, we'll be in Exodus into 2024. Um, I'll take a few breaks from it here or there, um, but, but we will be in it until early next year. Um, Exodus will include a lot of things as we work through it. It'll include the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, which you probably know from watching Charlton Heston play that out. Um, it'll include the Ten Commandments. Um, we will spend ten weeks in the Ten Commandments. We'll hit each commandment week by week. Um, it will cover a lot of the laws in the Old Testament that we usually skip over in our Bible reading plan um, because we don't understand them. And I'll have the task of preaching those texts to you. Um, it includes one of my favorite Bible verses, which you'll have to wait to find out what that is when we get to that verse. So just hang around. Um, and it includes much more. Exodus was foundational to the life of the people of Israel. Um, if you had lived in the days of Jesus, you would have viewed the Exodus story um, the way we have viewed the American Revolution. Um, and Moses and Aaron would have been something like George Washington and Benjamin Franklin to you. Um, so let's begin the book this morning. As we read the first chapter, which we're going to cover today, I want you to have the book of Genesis in your mind. Be thinking about what you know about the book of Genesis, because you hear a lot of echoes of that book in chapter 1 of Exodus. So let's read it. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan and Naphtali, 
Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all the generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Siphra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwife feared God, he gave, the, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So Exodus is a direct sequel to the book of Genesis. Moses wrote both of them. And um, if you know the last 15 chapters of Genesis, um, it follows the 12 sons of Israel. Actually, if you're reading the Bible reading plan I gave out at the beginning of the year, we're going to read that time this week. This week is when we cover the end of Genesis. Um, and so let me just recap for you. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. He is renamed Israel and told that the nation is going to come from him. And so he has 12 sons, and they are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. His favorite of the sons is Joseph. He has a favorite kid. I don't know if you're supposed to do that or not, but Jacob does. It's Joseph. Um, Joseph um, has, is, is given a lot of privileges by Jacob that the other kids aren't, and so they get jealous. And so they rise up against Joseph, and they sell him into slavery. Um, but they tell Jacob he got killed by a wild animal. They, they tell him that a, a wild animal ate him alive. And then later, so Joseph gets sold off into slavery, but Joseph um, increases in rank in Egypt. God blesses him there, and Joseph ends up second in command of Egypt, like vice president of the place. And then a famine comes over the land decades later, and the 11 brothers come to Egypt seeking out food. And it just so happened that God has been having Joseph there for decades, storing up food for when a famine would come one day, so that when his 11 brothers showed up, they would be able to get food. God was working, and that's why in the end of Genesis, um, Joseph is talking to his brothers in verse 20 of chapter 50, and he says, what you meant evil against me, God meant it for good. God often works in our trials like that. 
Um, the world means it for evil, but God means it for good. And so the first seven verses of Exodus 11 are recapping what happened. It's something like if you watch a TV show and the episode begins and it says previously on whatever show, and it gives you like a, a montage of things that have come before it, that's what verses 1 through 7 is doing. The 11 sons moved to Egypt, and the whole people of Israel lived there together. There were 70 of them, it says. And the people of God multiplied, verse 7. They multiplied on the land. Um, there were 70 of them when they got there, Jacob and his 12 sons and their wife and children. Um, there were 70 of them when they got there, and they began to have children, and the generations expanded. And in fact, by the time they're in the wilderness, later in the book of Exodus, we know there's probably around 2 million of them. So they went from 70 people to 2 million in about 400 years. We know that because later they take a census and there's 600,000 men. So we can just assume each of them had a wife and one or two kids, and that's um, 2 million people. Um, the people of God are spreading all over the land. That They're spreading out. And this is the goal of God. This is what God wants. This is the first echo of Genesis in this chapter. The people multiply. You see it, underline every time you see the word multiply in your Bible. Verse 7, they, they multiplied. Verse 10, they um, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Verse 12, um, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Verse 20, um, the, the people multiplied and grew very strong. It's all over the place. And you think back to the Genesis story, and this was always the goal of God. Genesis 1.28, what did he tell Adam in the garden? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is what he told Adam to do, and this is what the people of Israel are doing. They're multiplying on the land. God created Adam and Eve and blessed them with that, and he gave them the, the command to have children and spread out over the whole world. He gave that same blessing to Noah and Abraham and Jacob. Why does God want this? Aren't we hearing today of overpopulation? Aren't we hearing of um, that if we don't get population under control, like, you know, in a, in a few decades, humanity is going to come to an end because we're going to run out of resources? Don't we hear of how some nations make it illegal for a couple to have more than two children? Well, we, this, this is important because God created man in his image. That carries a lot of meaning, but the most basic is that we are God's representatives on earth. Man and woman are God's representatives here. Kind of the best way I know to explain it is um, there are billions of children on this earth, even some in this room. Only two of them carry my DNA, right? My son that's in the nursery and my son that's in Adrian's womb. There, there's only two children on this earth that carry my DNA. They're made in my image, right? Man and woman are made in God's image like that. Eagles don't carry God's image. Sea turtles don't carry God's image. Rainforests don't carry his image. The sun and the moon and the stars don't carry his image. Man and woman does. <coughs> You're supposed to be able to look at the beauty of man and woman and see the glory, character, and heart of the God who made them. So God wants man and woman to have children so that more and more image bearers spread out over the earth, thereby expanding God's glory to every corner of the planet. This is why we highly value parenthood and childbearing. We don't do like our world does. We don't view children as, an in, as a burden or an inconvenience. 
No, we don't do like our world. You know, we, we have a relationship with somebody. Maybe we'll marry them. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just live with them. We'll pursue our dream career and become something. And, oh, no, suddenly we're pregnant. And we get sad because now I can't fulfill all my dreams. No, we recognize that parenting is a high calling from God. And he entrusts us with the souls of our children. Parents are ambassadors to bring the good news of Jesus to their children. Our children are souls that will live forever. That's important. They are not obstacles that get in the way of our dreams. They're souls that will live forever. So parents, view your children as God does and recognize your high calling that God gives you as a parent. Your job as a parent is not just to raise your kids to make sure to get them to adulthood without dying and having some good career ambitions. No, your job as a parent is to raise your children to know and love the Lord, to, to place Christ as first in their life and not themselves, which is what the culture is telling them to do, put themselves first. To, you teach them to submit their life fully to the lordship of Jesus. You are the primary disciple makers for your children. Not, not me, not, not Clint, not you know, Russ and Aaron, not, not any of them. You're the primary disciple makers for your children. We assist you in that. I, I don't want my son to have to go to the BCM or to a seminary one day to learn how incredible Jesus is. I hope he's learned it from me so that when he gets to those places, he can really serve well there. Now, of course, the devil doesn't want God's glory to spread over the whole earth. He doesn't want that. So the story of Scripture is of the devil constantly trying to prevent God's people from being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, right? Remember the fall of man? Adam and Eve are in the garden. They've been told, be fruitful and multiply. What happens? The serpent comes and tempts them, and they give in. And so the curse comes on the world. Man is going to have pain in work, so being fruitful is going to be difficult. Um, woman is going to have pain in childbirth, so multiplying is going to be difficult. Both of them are going to die. And so there's going to be this weighty thing that happens now where multiplication happens, but the people who are multiplied are going to die in the process. But then the serpent gets his curse. What does he get? He's told one day the woman's going to have a descendant that's going to crush your head. It's going to crush your head and defeat you. And all of the Bible is a prelude to that event. The serpent's descendants are battling the woman's descendants. The whole story of Scripture is that. And Exodus is yet another chapter of that. <coughs> so there's a king that, is, that arises in Egypt. And he does not, it says he does not know Joseph. Your translation may say that he did not remember Joseph. That's the idea. Um, he, he doesn't acknowledge Joseph. He, he may know Joseph is a historical guy, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Joseph's work, his work is no longer seen as important to this king. He's no longer acknowledged for the goodness that him and his family brought to the nation. No, this king thinks Israel is getting too big and getting too big of a problem. Um, so he's going to do something about that. We don't know who this pharaoh was. Um, a lot of times if you see a movie, they'll, they'll give him a name, like, like you know, the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt or something like that. They'll give this pharaoh a name. The, Exodus doesn't give him one. We don't know who it is. But um, he's a representative of the serpent. It's the battle between the woman's children and the serpent's children, all the way from Genesis 3. It's the, it's the war between them. And this is a war between the, the serpent's representative and the women's representative. 
It's quite interesting, actually. Chris, would you pull up the image? Take a look at Pharaoh's crown. Do you notice anything about it? You may not be able to see it from, from where you're sitting. You may not notice the particular detail. There's a serpent on his forehead. Huh. One could call that the mark of the beast right there. He, he's the representative of the serpent in this story. He just decides to put it on his head just to be the literal representative of the serpent. Just right there on his head. So he wants to prevent the woman from expanding. He wants to prevent the people of God from being fruitful and multiplying the command God has given them. And so he makes three different attempts to stop them from multiplying. And he's essentially going to try and commit genocide. He's going to try to make them go extinct. More than that, he wants to prevent them from carrying out the commission from God at creation. And he wants to prevent God's glory from spreading over the earth. So he does three attempts. We see the first one in um, verses 9 through 14. We see the second one in 15 through uh, about 21. And we see the third one in verse 22. The first one, <coughs> he, he does forced labor. That's his first attempt. He's going to put them into slavery. He thinks, you know, if all these Israelites got to be here, at least let's have them contribute to society somehow. So they put them to work in forced labor to build storehouses for them. And it's interesting here. There's a detail you may not notice. You may read over it um, in verse... Um, I lost it. Um, verse 14. He makes them build the storehouses with mortar and brick. Now, you might read that and completely skip over that detail, but that's important. Why? Well, those words are only used one other time in the five books of Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Mortar and brick are only used one other time in those five books. Do you know where? Genesis 11.3, where it says that um, they built the Tower of Babel out of mortar and brick. So Pharaoh's not just aligning with the serpent in the garden. He's also aligning with the people who built the Tower of Babel. He, he's going to make their work difficult. He's going to make it so difficult so that hopefully that starts to shrink their number. Why? Well, because some of them are going to die out under such hard work. And the others, well, let's just put it this way. They're going to be too tired to get pregnant. All right? So, so he's going to prevent the multiplication in that way. But that doesn't work. They keep multiplying. He keeps oppressing them. In verse 12, they keep multiplying. No matter how much he oppresses them, they just keep multiplying more and more because that's God's commission for them. That's what he wants them to do. <coughs> so he moves to plan B. Plan B, verses 15 through about 21. Abortion. That's his second plan, abortion. He tells the Hebrew midwives to kill the children as they're being born. Kind of stupid that he asked the Hebrew midwives to kill the Hebrew babies, but this guy isn't the sharpest spoon in the drawer. Um, so he tells them, hey, go see the women when they're having their baby. Look down there, and if it's a boy, just go ahead and you know, take it out. Just kill it. If it's a girl, bring it on out and let it be born. Why only boys? Why only boys? Well, boys will grow up and can be warriors for their people. And um, they might be able to get their you know, people out of slavery. They might be able to cause a revolt and rise up against um, Pharaoh and his empire. Girls are going to be used as housewives and, um, and well, have babies. That's what they're going to do. They're going to use them for that. 
The devil loves to see men emasculated and women abused and used. He loves that. And you can bet wherever you see those two things happening, men having their manhood taken from them and women being used and abused, you can bet the devil's in that. On top of that, you can be sure the devil's at work when you see children being oppressed. And that's what's happening here. Children are being oppressed. You see this in so many places in our day, don't you? Children are are being oppressed. You see it in the abortion industry in the United States. In the wake of the Dobbs decision last June, the pro-death movement, we'll call it what it is, the pro-death movement has ramped up their fighting to make abortion accessible. Um, so in the more liberal states, actually make you basically get rewarded if you get an abortion. Um, but even here in Georgia, abortion's not illegal. The government passed in Georgia a law that um, the abortion can't be performed after a heartbeat has been detected, which happens about six weeks. Um, Adrian got to hear the heartbeat of our next child um, six weeks and two days, um, very early, but, but she got to hear that. Before six weeks, abortion's still legal in Georgia. And you may have heard recently that CVS and Walgreens were authorized to write prescriptions for a medication that is an at-home abortion pill. All it takes is a woman to find a nurse that will write the prescription. She can go to CVS or Walgreens and fill this prescription, and she can go home and miscarry her child in the toilet. So in Georgia, that's what can happen, and you can bet that's the work of the serpent. You see it in the human trafficking industry. Um, it's estimated that there are about 40 million victims of human trafficking in the world, um, people that are kidnapped and either um, sold for slave labor or for slave sex, and 25% of them are children. That is, 10 million people in the world are slaves and they're children. There have been children as young as three years old rescued out of trafficking, a three-year-old being used for sex slavery. My son will be three years old in four months. That's what we're talking about, that young of a child. It's the work of the serpent. You see it in the confusion around gender today in our culture. Society makes that a child can choose their gender when they're young and should even be encouraged to. So parents are told that they should support that and do whatever's necessary to help them become all that they want to be. And if they don't, the school will take it into their hands to hide that gender identity choices of their child from their parents because, you know, parents are the enemy, right? Apparently, those people who say that have never had a kid or never been around a kid very much because my son wants me to change the TV between Toy Story and Cars and Thomas the Train and Mickey Mouse Clubhouse in the span of 15 minutes. He'll tell me he wants a yogurt pouch, and by the time I go and get it and come back, he doesn't want it anymore. Does he really have the maturity level to be making decisions like what gender he is? The wave of thinking that would encourage or even exhort parents to give hormone blockers to their seven-year-old is from the serpent. The serpent hates kids because kids bear God's image and they spread God's image over the earth. He hates that. He hates it because he hates God. Thankfully, the Hebrew midwives fear God rather than Pharaoh. They fear God. And they, they would tell Pharaoh, look... I, we try to get there in time, but, you know, they just have their babies so quick, we don't get there in time. Scholars think probably, uh, probably they worked out something with the Hebrew midwives that were basically like, hey, we're not going to call you when it's time. And the Hebrew midwives were probably like, yeah, don't call us. Just we'll use that as our way out of this. 
And God honors these women because of that. First, he gives them a name. He calls them, um, there's a name in the scriptures that these women are remembered for the rest of history because they were faithful. uh, Shifra and and Pua, both of them get names, but we don't know Pharaoh's name. Pharaoh is just named as Pharaoh in here. He doesn't get a name. The most powerful man in Egypt is not named. But these insignificant Hebrew midwives get a name written in Scripture for the rest of history. Secondly, they get a family. Look at verse 17. Actually, no, it's verse um, um, 21. He gave them families. See, Hebrew midwives were probably infertile women. Um, That's why they served as midwives. And so they're they're never going to get to have children. So God gives them a family. This is one of the many episodes in the Bible of women defeating the serpent's plan. You can find it all over Scripture, women outsmarting the devil. The serpent is doing everything he can to prevent multiplication, and he keeps getting tripped up. He just ends up causing it more and more. The third incident is um, public edict for murder, verse 22. (coughs) Pharaoh tells the people of Egypt, just... You know, not even the midwives, just every Egyptian citizen. If you see a Hebrew boy, just start grabbing him and drowning him in the Nile River. We're going to see that in more detail next week when we look at the first part of Exodus 2. But he issues an edict to start killing kids. This guy's lost his mind. He's so enthralled with his own power that he's murdering actual children and getting the entire nation to do it. But even still, Israel's going to multiply. They're going to keep multiplying. No matter how much the serpent attacks the people of God, verse 12, they just continue multiplying. The, the more they were oppressed, they, the more they multiplied and they, the more they spread abroad because the, this is God's sovereign plan. It, his plan is for his people to multiply. It was true in the days of Exodus. We're going to see that for the rest of the book, especially the first 15 chapters. They're going to keep multiplying and they're going to keep beating Pharaoh. This was also true in the life of Jesus, that that God always fulfills his plan. The devil leads Judas Iscariot astray that he might sell Jesus out. And he thought he was preventing multiplication um, of of the kingdom of God by having Jesus killed. But he ends up causing the kingdom of God to come. When Jesus dies and rises again, it provides salvation available to all who would repent of their sins and trust him for salvation. And, and so he ends up causing the very thing he's trying to prevent, the devil does. It was true in the days of the early church in Acts, Acts chapter 8. Um, Stephen is on trial and all the Christians are gathered in Jerusalem. They're all together in the same place. They're supposed to be going out to all the nations, but they're all together. And the Jews rise up and kill Stephen. And you would think that would cause the Christians to shut up and keep to themselves, right? No, they leave Jerusalem. They do what God told them to do. They leave Jerusalem. They spread throughout the world. And they start multiplying in all those places, starting churches. Because no matter how much they were oppressed, they continued multiplying. You kill one Christian, ten more of them pop up. That's just how it happens. Something like weeds in your yard, right? And this is true of our day, too. Do not fear the day we live in. Do not fear the day we live in. We live in a time in America where the days you knew in the past are passing away, especially those of you who are older. A new king has arisen in America that does not remember Jesus. 
And day by day, they are doing more and more to try to oppress the people of God in that. But Jesus will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter how much we're oppressed, we're going to continue multiplying. God's people are going to continue multiplying. And we get to play a part in that. We get to play a part in Exodus 1 continuing into the future. Verse 12, that the more we're oppressed, the more we're going to multiply. Just like God gave Adam and Eve a command to be fruitful and multiply, he has given us the same command. Jesus, risen from the dead, what did he tell his disciples? Go make disciples of all the nations. That is, at the first creation, Adam and Eve were told, be fruitful and multiply. At the beginning of the second creation, with the resurrection of Jesus, he tells them, go be fruitful and multiply. Go make disciples. Be fruitful and multiply, spiritually speaking. This is our commission as a church. It's why we do everything we do. It's why I preach the Bible every Sunday. It's why we have um, Bible studies. It's why the youth meet. It's why the kids meet. It's why we do so many things. We want to grow disciples. It's why we support missions, because we want to see disciples made around the world. As we leave this building today, we go seek to multiply the faith to those we see. We spread out. We expand for God's glory here and there and everywhere. Because you can be sure of this, no matter how much the serpent seeks to oppress us, no matter how much our world might not remember Joseph, we're going to continue multiplying. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your unstoppable plan, your unstoppable power, that nothing in all the world can defeat your son's kingdom. That no matter how much we are oppressed, we're going to continue multiplying. No matter how much we hold up biblical truth and are hated for it, we're going to continue to thrive because that's what has always been the case. And so, Lord, give us victory over the serpent and his ways. Give us victory over the devil and his kingdom because you've already done that in the resurrection and you're going to continue doing that day by day so that we continue multiplying. In Jesus' name.